Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. Hi, I am Aisha Woody. It is June 15th, I believe. Six, 16th. 16th, thank you. June 16th, we're at Mount Hood Winery, and I've got Don Bickford, John Stellick, and Steve Bickford here with me today. And my first question for you gentlemen is, why wine? We were already in the agriculture business. We grow apples and pears. We're a century farm here. We started in 1909, and I had a friend that called one day and said, how would you like to plant some grapevines? And so I said, how many? And he said, 4,000. So we cut down a block of Newtown apples, which were no fun anymore. So that's how we got started. And then two years later, that was in the year 2000, so we called that block uh, Millennium Vineyards because of the year it was planted. And uh, a couple years later, the national wine show for the industry was in Portland. So Don and our ex-partner Dick and I went to Portland and walked out three hours later, $20,000 poorer with enough equipment to make some wine. So that's how we got started. It was kind of a, a little bit of a whim, just kind of, it happened. But we'd each been making kid mm -hmm. wines kind mm -hmm. of on the side, and it was fun. You could buy a box and a carboy and, and make a batch of wine, and it wasn't bad, but uh, yeah. it just progressed that the apple block wasn't profitable anymore, and replanting it to grapes made a lot of sense. A lot of enthusiasm for wine grapes. Um, people just are, are uh, aghast at how much uh, fun it is just to come out and play with the plants, and so. And that, yeah, and that's really, why the apple block was no fun. It was a high, all the apples today are lending towards a high density orchard and those were big old trees. The market had gone out from them. And it, Predominantly pie apples and today's consumer wants to go to the grocery store and get a Sara Lee and put it in the oven and be done. And so uh, pie apples just weren't in favor and Granny Smith sort of overtook them and got down for every dollar you put in, you got a dollar back and a lot of work in between, so. A year later. A year later, <laughs> yeah. You got your dollar back. Yeah. So, so I, I know that you have a long tradition and heritage of farming, of course, because this is a century farm. Um, what was it like starting the vineyard and the winemaking piece? You know, when we planted our first vineyard, it's not on this side, it's about a half a mile away, but it's six acres, five acres of Pinot Noir, one acre of Pinot Gris. Um, we used little milk cartons to surround the plant to prevent weed spray and to kind of uh, baby the little baby plants. Um, people thought we had a pet cemetery <laughs> because of all the little cartons out there. That's, somebody asked me that. Little markers. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't used to seeing vineyards no, planted. It, it was kind of abnormal, so mm -hmm. they didn't know what it was. So, But Steve and I being fourth generation, John representing five, uh, we've kind of done the pear thing, and it's become rote. I mean, when you mm -hmm. go into the winemaking uh, part of it, it's all brand new, and you learn something new every day, yep. and it challenges your mind every time you do it. And uh, so that's that's kind of the fun part of the winemaking end of things. 
And we have more control over this business than we do in our pear and apple business where we grow a crop, we deliver it to the warehouse, they sell it all over the world, and six or nine months or a year later we find out what it was actually worth. So it's kind of a, I mean, it's fairly steady, but um, this one is more hands-on day-to-day. You talk to the customer where the other one we would load trucks of fruit going to Walmart in Texas and, you know, we didn't know who the end customer was. And for us, it was really easy to start in the vineyard. We had all the farming equipment, the tractors, the sprayers. We've got an established labor force. And really, the grapes are quite complementary to all the apples and the pears. We, you know, in the winter, the work is we'll prune the pears first, followed by the apples, and then we go into the grapes. And it, that, that arrangement really goes all the way through to to harvest. So, so it's very, very complementary. and harvest, and they all rotate through in progression. It's very nice, and gives a lot more work for our outside crew. Right, it's sort of more job, job mm-hmm. consistency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you all kind of do it all together, or are there sort of respective roles? We generally do mostly together. I mean, everybody kind of specializes in different facets of it, but and, you know, at certain times we all do it together, and so. Don always does the spray for the whole spray program for all the pairs. We've got an established crew, so I, I'm actually, you know, I wasn't here in 2000. Um, my wife and I, and now three three boys moved up in 2008, and I've kind of been the fill, fill-in role. You know, the winery is new, so I've taken over a lot of the, you know, seller work, seller, seller responsibilities, and kind of plugged in so that was the new, new business, and it, it's you know, like I said, it's it, you're doing something different every season. So when you're tired of something, you know, whether it's thinning pears, which we're doing now, then we're on to something new, or you know, we're getting ready to bottle, and or then you start a cidery, and yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You start yeah. cider work, so we make hard cider as well as wine, and that's kind of taking more of the traditional stuff that we've grown and, and fermenting in making a beverage from that, and it's been fun. Um, what varietals have you found or that you've decided to start with? Was there sort of a, a method to that? or? We started with Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris, and Pinot Noir mostly because Willamette Valley is famous for Pinot Noir, and that was the best way to judge our soil and climate on how it would do making wine. And, and we've won some awards and done very well with it, and. And we branched out from those two. We have some Chardonnay, we have some Riesling, we have a little bit of Gewürztraminer, we have some Shiraz, we have some Tempranillo, which has been difficult to grow. Um, and uh, our, our microclimate yeah. in Hood River really lends towards the that cooler climate, Burgundian, you know, the Germanic wines, the Riesling, which just does excellent here. Yeah, it's the really the fun fun aspect of the Columbia Gorge AVA is that there's so many little microclimates, a lot of different soil types, you know, 10 miles east of here, you know, you'll get so much less rainfall and you get, can grow the high heat, a lot of the Syrah, the Zinfandel, Merlot, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Barbera, Cab. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just any most anything, yeah. Mm-hmm. That is one of the perhaps most interesting or unique things that we found in this week is is exactly as you said, you know, you just go a couple miles either direction, it's a completely different growing climate. Mm-hmm. 
with that in mind, how do you market the wine for this region? Is there a sort of strategy? Do you embrace the diversity as a region? Or what have you found? Most of our wine is sold out of this tasting room, so 85 or 90 percent goes out the front door at retail, um, which is beneficial from a business standpoint. Um, and we started with, you know, we had Pinot Noir, we had Pinot Gris, we had two wines, so we bought Chardonnay from a, another producer in the valley, and so we had three wines to sell, and that's how we started, and now we have between 12 and 15 wines, so we have a wide variety of things available. The slogan for the Wine Growers Association is a world of wine in 40 miles. And so you can start with the very shortest growing season to the very longest. And it's difficult to describe to people accurately exactly what's going on. Um, once you can sit them down and have a long talk about this is how we're situated and what things are they understand. But as far as um, a slogan and a campaign, it's tough. It really is. And we just looked at the numbers the other day. We, we percentage-wise, we're just close to 70% estate-grown fruit, and the other, the other 30, 35%, we go out. But we, you know, we're only 10 miles as the crow flies to some of our other. You know, we've got some really good vineyards and small family vineyards that we partner with to bring in those varieties that, you know, don't grow right here. So it's been it's been fun, kind of. You know, we started out with what? Would you guys start out with three or four wines? Two, two, mm-hmm. and now we're somewhere around twelve to fourteen. It, mm-hmm. And it, we've had a lot of fun. Like Don said, it, you know, we're tink- tinkers, and it's fun to well, let's let's try this, or let's you know, let's make a let's do a port style wine, and yeah. we do a port style wine from our Pinot Noir, and, yeah. and, and some of the rosés were. You know, this isn't quite ripe enough. This makes some rosé, so things just you follow what the fruit needs to have done to it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the of the, um, the AVA, because it's sort of cross state, what are some of the challenges and strengths that you guys have observed with that? Different laws in different states make uh, having a group function very difficult. The folks from Washington have to come to a distributor over here who bring their wine to a function that they can then sell. And it, it just logistics, I think the f- folks in Washington know what their laws are and they cover them. The folks in Oregon know what their laws are and they cover them and, and we do all right with it. But it's always kind of a struggle. We, we laughed about, we just need to shut down the Hood River Bridge between the states and have a party in the middle and it'd be great. <laughs> 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 Interstate commerce people think much of that, but we mm-hmm. thought it was a great idea. <laughs> Shut down the bridge. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how have you observed the wine industry change and evolve, especially once you got in in 2000? There's been a big growth in the number of wineries, uh, not so much in the number of vineyards, but there's been some growth there also. Um, I think there was only three or four when we started in the valley and now mm-hmm. there's you know 15 maybe in the valley and I think uh, the other day we heard a report there's 38 wineries in the Columbia Gorge ABA so that's growing quite a bit and, and it's definitely getting on the map as a wine growing region not you know we're known for windsurfing and growing all this wonderful tree fruit but we're definitely you know it, it's been a you know with the wine growers association it's a good camaraderie and when you know someone gets an award it's great because it just enhances 
you know, everyone's knowledge of our, our AVA and they'll come out here. We've got so many things going for it with, we're on the Fruit Loop, which has been in existence. Steve's on, on that board. What is it, 40? How long old is the Fruit Loop? Well, it's at least 25 years old. And that's, you know, it used Maybe to be just 30, a yeah. number of fruit stands going out through the valley and people could go out and since the wineries have started now, the wineries really probably make up a third of the Fruit Loop. And mm -hmm. you know, I think the rest of the fruit stands have even noticed added, added tourism and it's brought in a few other people that you know, might not have come out. And mm -hmm. it's just, just yeah. added to the increased traffic, which has been great. And the wineries are more year round than the fruit stands, which are just kind of seasonal in the summer. There's some alpaca places that sell wool, and they can be more year-long businesses. But the, the wineries, I think, have more open months than anybody else, and it's just something steady for the tourists to come see. I think the same spirit that, that was in the Willamette Valley when they started out, if everybody's kind of doing the same thing together, exists in this AVA. Mm -hmm. Everybody's willing, you know, somebody calls up and says, I'm short of filter pads, we'll come on over, we'll loan you this, and people cooperate very well together, and it's uh, the group of people started out by, uh, in the AVA by having potluck dinners together before the AVA formed, and that was just because you didn't ever see other grape growers unless you did that, and it evolved to be more and more formal as it went along to uh, do some of the, the things that we need to do in marketing the area. Any of you have been involved in the Wine Growers Association or the ABA developments? Mm-hmm. Don was on the board for a while and I'm on the board now. Mm -hmm. um, How much work does that portion take in addition to owning your own winery and farm? Well, the ABA has been, what, 10 years in existence or so? And uh, we started from, it might even be 12 years, but yeah. we started from uh, just a very part-time coordinator, if not volunteer coordinator, till now we have a full-time coordinator. So it's grown a lot, um, but there's more wineries to support it, and there's more tourists, more wine being made, more business being transacted, so it's grown, done very well. But then, in the end, is the difficulty is getting funds to pay a director to make the association work without having to have everybody volunteer, and, um, mm -hmm. do all of the chores that have to go on, um, the information packets and answering the phone and dealing with emails, all of that becomes pretty full-time occupation. Yeah, mm -hmm. ha having the coordinator is really key, but you know, it, it, it's part of it, part of being in this community that you need to sit on a board. I, I do the Columbia Gorge Fruit Growers, which is the Fruit Growers Association, as well as the Visitors Council, and you just sort of, mm -hmm. every once in a while, you, you have to rotate and take take your turn sitting on those because that's how, yeah. you know, it, it's toughest when they get established, but when, once you get a coordinator and it, they can, they become a lot more self-directing. Self and Yeah, but the small community is all about volunteering and making things happen. And John, John and I are both in the volunteer fire department. Don was on the county planning commission for a few years and I'm on a community bank board. And uh, so we're just, that's how things get done. Did Hood River become a wine destination? 
it just been in the last 10 years when it became mm -hmm. ADA? Yeah, I believe yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's uh, more as people have looked at what we can produce on the land and figured out the quality of wine we can produce, one person tells another who tell 10, who tell 100, and it snowballs a little more and a little more, and that's, it's more word of mouth than anything else. It's still some of the traditional, uh, the Thanksgiving deals in the Willamette Valley. Uh, we've tried to emulate, but not as successfully as we'd like. It's not a big crowd for Thanksgiving. And President's Day doesn't end up to be a, a big rush of people where they might go to Dundee. But more and more as people hear about us, and um, it's almost a shorter drive to get to Hood River than it is to the other side of Portland with the traffic that's involved. So as people learn about that, they come down and explore, and more and more people uh, mm -hmm. do the same thing. But we've seen a step, you know, pretty steady increase from once we opened the doors here. We were, I mean, we poured it fruit stands before and while we were building building this building. But, uh, you know, since we opened the doors, you know, knock on wood, it's been a nice, just a Every year goes steady up. increase yeah. and starting to think about opening the doors a little earlier in the year or maybe for the weekends. It, it's yeah. just, you know, as as we've grown, the traffic has definitely, definitely I think, come. I think the wine business has grown um, in conjunction with the windsurfing business that came to town 15 or 20 years ago because they kind of brought another influx of young people. They bought old houses, fixed them up. There's more restaurants that came to town. There's more reasons for the population of Portland and Vancouver or Bend or Seattle to come over here and visit. There's more things to do and the wineries are just part of that overall increased tourism in the valley. I think it will continue to grow steadily, but kind of based on the amount of acreage that you can produce. You can produce a lot of wine on a small footprint, so there's a lot of room to grow, but some of it you, have, you would have to oust uh, some of the traditional fruit growing areas to, to plant to grapes, and that's a big leap of faith to get over growing one crop and going to the next. So, uh, But as more and more people get interested um, there are people who have come up from um, California and looked and said, wow, and there's, there's enough money in other places that if they want to do it, they can come in and, and find a place and capitalize it and make it happen. Yeah, I think it'll be steady growth. Um, the wines are getting better. There's more tourists, uh, more accolades in magazines and so on for our wines. So I think uh, it'll just be a steady growth pattern. And everyone's business model is slightly different. Our our main focus is to get people out to, you know, visit us, come see where we make the wine, where we grow the grapes, and then enjoy the you know, beautiful mountain. And we haven't looked as much into large, large scale distribution, or really wanted to, you know, necessarily become become a hundred thousand case a year winery. We still wanted to keep it boutique. It it it. It fits with, you know, we can still keep our hands, get our hands dirty at harvest and, you know, it complements everything else that, you know, we've talked about it that we could produce more and then look at wider distribution, but it, no one really, it's just not something that we really want to dive into mm -hmm. yet. So it's, 
you know, other, others have more of a model of out there and get their wine out into the grocery stores, but that's not, you know, I would say most of the wineries in the gorge want to get people out and keep, stay sort of small. So it's nice, nice aspect of it. at this site that haven't grown the way we had hoped they would. Um, and that's just, uh, you, you choose um, a grape that fits with the site. And some of that takes time to learn. Uh, we know people close to us that have grown uh, some of the plants that we've lost, and they say they're just hard to establish in this area. Mm -hmm. So um, you learn by doing on that one. Um, I think in terms of we put this place up in... 2009. And it finished in nine, started in eight, eight yeah. mm -hmm. and that was just about the time the financial markets were crashing, the world was coming to an end, everything was doom and gloom. Um, it's, it's hard to stick your toe in the water when everything's coming apart around you, but I think uh, it was the right decision. This has kind of become community center, um, people come in together in small groups and in large, and this has just worked out marvelously well. And so it's a lovely spot. It's off of the main highway, but close enough that you've got good access. Um, just all the things that, that you do in the tasting room uh, work pretty well here. We can have small conferences that are cut off in a separate room. Uh, we can have the main hall and have a big crowd in. So it's just worked out really well. And yeah, it was, it was definitely a leap of faith to build, build the size of building that we had here, especially at that time in the yeah. economic market, but you know, we, you know, believed in the area and that it was a place that, you know, we're like, we feel pinch ourselves lucky enough to get to live here and, you know, farm the ground out here and make wonderful mm -hmm. wine. So, you know, it, everyone, you see a lot of people at our vineyard along the highway out back, you all of a sudden someone will just pull over and you think they've blown out a tire. Nope, they just want to run out and take a picture over the vineyard mm -hmm. <laughs> of Mount Hood in the background, so, yeah. Well, great. I have sort of run through my, my bullet points of questions. Is there anything that I should have asked that I didn't or any stories that you want to share? Well, when we started out in 2000, we planted our first vines. And in 2002, we incorporated to become a winery. Um, Mount Hood Winery started in the valley back in the late 60s, early 70s. And then it moved over to Sandy, Oregon. The company was sold. They made fruit wines. And then from about 89 to 2002, that name was just uh, not used by anybody. So we just paid the uh, state licensing fee. Uh, Don's wife, Libby, found the name and wasn't being used. And so we picked it up and that's how we became Mount Hood Winery. But we were partners with another couple of people, uh, the Reeds that have Wise Vineyards now. And so we were partners with them for about five years and then uh, decided to split apart and still friends. Um, but it was best for both of us to start our own, enlarge our own businesses, and so. So then I, I bought the bar on eBay, which is kind of how the, the building started. 
my wife and I were still living in in Portland, Vancouver area at the time, and you know, we said, your dad is planning something because he bought a what 40 foot bar 30 foot, 30 yeah. foot bar <laughs> and you know we hadn't heard of plans of the winery you know they had the winery but it was up at up at our friend the reeds building and you know he's got it stored in the back but oh he, i said what is it for oh i just got a really good deal on it i'm like <laughs> <laughs> so kind of knew some something was in the works at yeah. the time and and then so, it, so then we had the bar and then i hired an architect and said here's the bar build a winery to fit and so it worked out really well <laughs> and we had a really good builder and a really good architect and we're just really happy with the results and uh, yeah. they were good to work with and so it's been very successful and um, gratifying to do it and a lot of fun. So is this an idea, the tasting of the winery, that just sort of percolated with you or did well, you it's, too? It's, it's all of us, it just yeah. kind of, you know, and we had, we had some visions when we started out that maybe the Mount Hood Railroad that runs behind, mm -hmm. they'd been running steam trains the year before we started to put this up, that it would be a nice place to have a whole train load of folks show up. And in the end, that really hasn't worked out, but people can see from the train over here and drive up and visit, and it's, it's been just fine. But that was one of the motivations for choosing this site over another, was that railroad might tie in. And yeah, best laid plans. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Um, you, just as a closing, um, we've been very lucky in this, you know, some people don't have uh, stable places. They're in a house for four years and they're on to the next one and that's how their life rotates. And I'm in the house, I came home from the hospital in 54. Um, Steve's uh, in a house that mom and dad built when I moved out. Mm -hmm. John's in a house that granddad built that uh, Steve had his kids grow up in. So Steve had three daughters in the house that's actually over my shoulder and now I'm raising three boys. <laughs> and the grandparents on both sides were here. Mom and dad were both born here. And so there's a lot of rich history of, of stories of we used to on Sunday afternoons go drive around uh, for entertainment and they would point out all this is Mr. Mm -hmm. Jones's house and this is mm -hmm. the shoemaker place and, and they pointed all the different areas and kind of knew everything that went on. Um, so you get a rich background into really what the sense of place is. Absolutely. I mean, that was the huge draw when Steve called up and said, hey, I've got something serious to talk about. I need to do it in person. And my wife's thinking, oh my God, he's got a heart attack or <laughs> so, something's going on. And he drove down and asked, yeah, you know, hey, we're building the winery. What do you think about coming up and farming? We were in Vancouver at the time. And, you know, we had one child and one on the way, and it was, you know, it was a very easy decision. You, you, you can always move into the city, but the opportunities to come out and, you know, farm and work the land is, you don't always have that opportunity, you know, the boy, and just to raise our boys out here. They can always go into the city if they want to and decide to later at a later point, but it's it's tougher to come out here and it's it's been a wonderful experience. So it's gratifying as two kids that grew up here as, as little kids and uh, you know it's a sleepy little lumber slash agriculture town. Suddenly, it's the place to be. 
Um, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of gratifying to see all the people that come here and they look around, wow, I'd love to live here. <laughs> so it's very satisfying. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our projects a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.